Amen. Praise the Lord. So thankful he holds us fast. and It does not depend on us. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So let's continue worshiping him this morning by turning to him again in prayer. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning, and I know my heart is overflowing with gladness and joy in the midst of such truths. We come, indeed, coming beholding you, how great and glorious you are. You are almighty, and you are eternal, and you are God. We thank you that you are and you have always been and you always will be and that means for us that for those who know you through your son jesus christ they have an anchor that cannot be moved and there's absolutely nothing that can move it and move us because of christ you are a sure refuge for us now and forever you, the eternal and the great God to whom we come this morning. And so we come thankful. I'm thankful for your goodness towards us. We can say that every day. We can say that in the midst of a pandemic. And even worse, we can thank you and praise you even still. And so we thank you this morning. We thank you for Haven. Thank you for the precious believers here. Thank you for those who uh, are attending or visiting us online or in person. Thank you for this opportunity and this blessing of being able to lift up your name. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ that we don't do this alone. As trials come, as we have things we, we don't know how to deal with and perhaps questions we have, you know, we don't do this alone. I don't do this alone. I need my fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so we thank you for the body of Christ. We come this second Advent as we recognize that uh, we are coming during this season to celebrate your son and his first coming, even as we long for his second coming as well. And let us pray, Father, for grace for those who are struggling during this holiday season. We know that uh, this can be an especially difficult time for those who have lost loved ones or uh, all variety of things that may come with this, um, family conflicts or whatever. And so we just pray you would give them grace right now, sustain them and help them, Father, and help them know you are there with them. You are the good shepherd. And you lead us even as you have led us through this year. We thank you and we recognize that you're in control. Even of those things that bring us great consternation, you are in control. Help us right now, every one of us in this room, to rest in you and to just cast ourselves upon you this morning. And especially so as we turn to your word, Lord. Pray you'd give me unction to preach your word. And pray you would give every person here and online or whoever else may listen to this even later or watch it. Just pray you would help give an attentiveness to us, ears to hear. So Father, we pray and look to you that you would work this morning for your name's sake, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And we're going to continue here in this Gospel this morning. And we'll be in chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. So if you would turn there, that would be good. Well, it is now officially December, as you know. So uh, you couldn't help but know it. 
now and how quickly it seems these past few months have gone by. I think with COVID, it just kind of blurs a lot of things and just seems like we got here very quickly. I don't know if that's just me, but maybe it's you as well. It just seems like we, we were here uh, very, very recently even in December and celebrating all these good things. And so we're doing that and, you know, of course, you're probably like us. We're putting up your Christmas trees, you know, or, you know, Christmas lights. I know we haven't done that yet. Maybe you have. Uh, Want to do that hopefully soon. And of course, you know, it's December, so it's starting to get a bit colder. And some of you are like, oh man, it's getting colder. And others of us are rejoicing and praise the Lord for the cold weather. You know, um, I know that's not everybody here, but I certainly like the cold weather and even more if it snowed. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. So, so as we, though, continue here in the Gospel of John this morning, we are coming to a rather similar part of the year as well. So to, to our time and our passage here. So in these verses, so it's, it's likely December here and it's getting colder and there are lights all around as well as people are lighting candles and lighting lamps in their homes to celebrate Hanukkah. And so we are, of course, separated by 2,000 years, yet we are coming to a very similar time on the calendar as they are here, as we'll see. So in a few weeks even, we will be celebrating Christ and the birth of Christ with Christmas. We also see that Hanukkah 2020 is coming December 10th through the 18th. And so this is indeed a very similar time of year as we come to our verses right here. And so with another festival in the air here in the Gospel of John, we also have Christmas before us as well as we come to our verses here. So may God bless the reading of his word this morning. So John 10, 22, it says, At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came... The scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Amen. 
our passage here in John 10, 22-42, it begins, if you remember, a while back now, we walked through John chapter 7, and we saw there the Feast of Booze. And so this comes sometime after the Feast of Booze, and, and really, from chapter 7 into chapter 10, we really have been within that context of the Feast of Booths as well. And so here, the Feast of Dedication that comes two months after the Feast of Booths, and the Feast would have likely taken place in A.D. 32 on December 18th. So, yes, we can be that specific. And so it would have taken place here at that time. And so the Feast of Dedication, or the as you may recognize it today, the Festival of Lights, or Hanukkah, was celebrated in many of the same ways as the Feast of Booze as well. Now, in hearing all this, you may think, well, this was a biblical feast. Well, this was actually not a biblical feast. It was not given by revelation from God. God had not said this is something you are to regularly do not saying it's wrong that they are celebrating this, but this was a, a feast that took place kind of in between Old Testament and New Testament times, so intertestamental kind of a feast that arose from them. And so the feast, it was a celebration of the cleansing of the temple with a Maccabean revolt, which may not mean a lot to you, but it meant a lot to them. <laughs> because, so see here, the temple had been desecrated by the Syrian ruler Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 BC when he placed a pagan altar there within the temple, which was not okay. <laughs> I mean, the Jews seeing this, hearing this, I mean, you can hear probably their gasps at hearing this and seeing this. I mean, this is where God is to be worshipped, and then a pagan altar is placed there in the temple. So... Yeah, that's, a, that's a, a shock, and it's very deep and dark time for the Jews in seeing that. And so with Judas Maccabeus as their leader then, the Jews came and they recaptured the temple in 164 B.C. So in the midst of that desperate time, longing for the temple to be restored, so it was that when victory came, the people, they rejoiced, and they took it as God's intervening hand. He providentially worked to give them back the temple. And so they lit their lamps in their homes. They lit their candles in their homes in praise of God, as you would do. So Festival of Lights and why it's being celebrated today as well. And so it is then... With this setting, then that we see Jesus, he's walking here in the temple, and the Jews are gathering around him as well in the colonnade of Solomon. Now, as we have seen in the past, Jesus is again, even though this isn't a biblical feast, he is saying, well, I have come to be that one hope, that one through whom you would worship the glory of God in the flesh, I come to fulfill all these things, even this feast also. And so, at this point now, in the Gospel of John, if you've been tracking with us, what have we seen of the Jews? Have they become more happy about Jesus? Or more, you know, angry about Jesus? Well, yeah, they have not been pleased with him. And they have only gotten harder and harder towards him. And so it was winter here in these verses, and it was winter in their heart also towards Christ. And indeed, it was a growing hardness towards Jesus as well. So it is then that we have in these verses, with a gasp, mercifully, we see that Jesus, he comes and he appeals to them. So we see Jesus' appeal even in the midst of all of that 
So in the midst of their icy, rock-solid, persistent unbelief, what does Jesus do here? He extends his hand to them once again. And is that not incredible? I'll show you how he does this in a minute. But just, just recognize he is doing that again here. Even in the midst of that icy, you know, stone-cold heart, he's, he's extending a hand to them again. And I find this incredible. I think we are too, to find this incredible. I mean, what a call for us to never cease extending the gospel to every single person we come across, whether they are uh, part of our family or they are a a fiend or they are a foe to us. We have an example here with Jesus who is continually just extending his hand to the hardest of hearts, even still. And I would just say, even before showing you this this morning, if, if that be you this morning, perhaps... You have been like the Jews here, this kind of hardness of heart. You have long held fast to your unbelief. Well, Jesus extends his hand ever still out to you also. Maybe it has been that you have mocked Christians, made fun of them, and you may even mocked the Bible. Well, know know this, that his hand is extended to you right now, even in the midst of that. Maybe it's not that. Maybe you have committed some grave sin against God, and you think, well, now it's over. Well, he's extending his hand to you also. So we see this appeal, and we see this appeal throughout, but it begins here with the Jews' question of Jesus in verse 24. So he, you know, we see it there and they basically ask, well, you know, if you are the Christ, tell us. You know, just tell us. And I, I don't know about you when, you, when you read that verse, you know, if you've been, if you, if you know the Gospel of John, you've seen how it's progressed. But I don't know about you, but I, I read that and I thought, you know, after walking through all that we have seen up to this point, I mean, how much more convincing do you need? <laughs> I mean, almost from every angle, he has, he has shown you that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. And you know, the truth is, you know, I, I say that, but even in saying that, you know, I can say at the same time, I really wasn't all that much better. I mean, really, was I that much different from them? I mean, how often I would not listen or even bat an eye at the things of God. I mean, how many of us here have that same testimony, right? So we can kind of look at them and say, why don't they get it, you know? Well, why didn't you get it? I heard many a preacher time after time, even though I was certainly not in the church regularly, but when I did, it was time to go to sleep. You know, maybe you're doing that right now. Hopefully not. Now granted here, Jesus had not told them directly, I am the Christ. He did do it, but he didn't do it with them. He did it in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman. But that wasn't to everybody. It was to her, which is incredible. A Gentile who says, I am speaking to you. I am he. He says, I am the Christ. So he hasn't done it, but he kind of has done it, right? I mean, before Abraham was, I am sure seems to fill in any gaps on, like, your wonderings about who he might be. (laughs) But they want more than that, don't they? They're not just wanting kind of a simple answer. Even if he tells them, I am the Christ, well, that's not really what they're wanting to hear. They want him to tell them plainly so that they can indict him then and there. You just say it. You just say it, Jesus. We've got, we've got it ready. 
We, they want to indict him. They want, to, want Jesus to give them a reason so they can put that final nail in the cross. And they're ready. Well, Jesus knows better. Maybe you're reading this and you're like, why didn't he just tell them? Well, he knows better. Infinitely wise, our Savior is. And so he answers by making plain here, and we see the appeal. His works declare that he is the Christ. His works declare that he is the Christ. Verses 25 and 26. So Jesus, he tells them, you know, look at my works. They bear witness about who I am. They make clear who I am. And Jesus, he says that, but he also goes further than that. He tells them the reason that they are struggling so deeply with him isn't because his works aren't believable, nor because they're not credible, but because of why. They aren't his sheep. How would you like to be told that? Jesus comes to you and says, you're not my sheep. And he might. He might do that. He might do that for some. And he might actually be doing that right now with you. But Jesus, he goes further still here. He tells them that he and the Father are one. And they get exactly what he means. By that. And so he is making himself out to be God. That's how they say in verse 33 it is not for good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So they, they definitely understand what he is saying here. And so, with condemnation in their hearts, they pick up stones to kill him. And so they're readied. But before they can, what does Jesus do? The point that we saw, he put he appeals to them. He appeals to them. And so they're trying to kill him, and he extends his hand out to them. I mean, how many of you would do that? I mean, how many would do that as they ready the stones? And yet he's extending his hand to them, and so he makes plain also that his works declare that he is the Son of God. Verses 31 through 39. So as they are aiming their stones at Jesus, this is another thing I find incredible here. What is Jesus doing? What does he do? Well, we have no hint here that he was sitting there kind of trembling like, oh man, this is getting intense. Well, we don't see that from Jesus. Notice he kind of stepped back, you know, like, oh, you know, all right, this is getting serious, you know. I, I didn't expect this, this to go this far again. As they pick up their stones, you know, he, he kind of, in the midst of all that, he appeals to them and he calmly answers them. And he asks them, for what work of the Father are they going to stone him? It's a merciful appeal. You know, of course, you know, Jesus, he knows what they're, what they're thinking. He knows why they want to stone him. He knows what they're after and what they're about, but he's appealing to them. And they think he is committing blasphemy, which is what the law said. That some, if they did that, if they committed blasphemy, Leviticus 24, 16, if they did that, then yes, you are to pick up your stones and stone them. And I think if, you know, someone today, you know, made this claim, I think we would think it's pretty outlandish, right? I mean, just think, yeah, you know, uh, Fred and I were going to get coffee the other day, and we we're just kind of sitting there talking, and Fred just tells me, he's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm God, you know? I don't think we'd be like, oh, really? That's okay, I got you. You must be. You know, I think we would, we would kind of be like, whoa, 
All right, what happened, Fred? You know, what's going on here? But, in respect to Jesus, it's only outlandish in respect to Fred if you're not really God. But if you are, then you better listen. And Jesus is really God. And so at their charge, Jesus, he doesn't throw up his arms and say, you got me. You know, I don't have, I don't have an answer for you, you know. He doesn't do that. But he gives them a basis as part of his appeal to consider his claim. He's saying, drawing them to consider what I'm saying to you. Try to listen to what I'm saying to you. And so he cites Psalm 82, 6, which says, I said... You are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. So what's, what's Jesus doing here with that verse? Why is he citing this? Well, he's arguing here from the lesser to the greater. So, for example, you've seen this in your Bible many times. So here's one. If you're faithful with the small things, you'll be faithful of what? The weightier things as well. Lesser, greater. See that right there? And so here then, if the Israelites or the judges in the Old Testament were called gods because they were had that kind of authority of judging others, and even beyond that, in respect to Psalm 82, 6 expressly, that they are sons of God or sons of the Most High, so sons of God, then he isn't off base to be called the Son of God. You see that logic there? Lesser, greater. And so he's saying that, but he challenges them even more. He says, okay, sure, don't believe me if I'm not doing the works of the Father, but if I am, at least believe in the works themselves. So even as he's already said, they're not his sheep. So remember that. He told them that. Even though he said that, he is still appealing to them. And that's why I find this so incredible. He's still extending his hand out to them. He's not competing with them. He's not just simply trying to win an argument with them. He is appealing to them. He's pleading with them. Consider me, even if it be from a distance, consider me. And so it is also that Jesus then is calling you out from your doubt. He's calling you out from your doubt. He is seeking you out to break through the haze the smoke screens and the fog to help you see that he is, he is, he is, he is the Savior. He is the Son of God. And you may have went to college and they told you to doubt everything and especially Christianity. I know I experienced that when I went to college. Some may have even seen it they may have even had someone throw the Bible out the window. I've heard of professors doing that. You won't need this here. And they told you there is no such thing as truth except the truth that you create for yourself. Well, Jesus, he comes and he breaks through all of that and he calls you out of your doubt out of your unbelief and to believe him. He's making his appeal, appeal to you in the midst of the smoke-filled, hazy arguments of the world. And perhaps you're not in the midst of, maybe you're, you're a believer here and you're in the midst of those same kind of hazy arguments and you're doubting and you're wondering and you're questioning 
Could it be? And his, he's saying to you right now, yes, it can be, and I am the Son of God. I am the Savior of the world. You're going through trial right now, but I am the Savior. Believe me, trust me, it's true. You're going into Christmas and it's hard, but I am the Christ. We're going through this pandemic, but I am the Christ calling us out of doubt this morning. And so he's doing that and he's also calling you to honestly consider him. Honestly consider him. So in the end here, if we're going to boil down what the Jews thought of what Jesus is saying here. In the end, they just simply didn't like his answers. They just didn't like what he was telling them. He's not insane, nor is what he is saying unreasonable. And so you may not like his answers. You may not like what Scripture has to say about God and about Jesus and about marriage and about gender and about the sanctity of human life and about sex. But this is not the same as saying he is not the Christ, nor saying that Scripture is not true. Just because our culture tells you gender is fluid, marriage is broad, abortion is okay, and sex outside of marriage is acceptable, does not make Jesus any less the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, nor does it make the Scriptures, the Word of Christ, any less true. They still are. So we need to believe that. We need to go out believing that. We need to honestly consider Christ. And so it could be that you're listening to a thief. You have been listening to a fiend. Perhaps an enemy disguised as a friend. I mean, just consider, and I would ask you to consider that the set, this the strategy that you may have been believing may be satanic in origin, such that Satan would love to bring you to your grave apart from Christ. So that there, as you pass on, which outside of Christ returning, well, if you don't know Christ, you're still heading the same direction. But as you pass on there, wherever it be, he laughs at you. Perhaps even whispering in your ear at the end of it all, everything I was telling you from the world was a lie. And I have you forever. You're going to hell. And you will never not be there. And you die and go on into a Christless eternity, a terrifying judgment that never pauses, never breaks, nor comes to an end. And could it be, and I would ask you to consider this, could it be that you don't like Jesus, you don't like the Bible and what it has to say, and you don't like it not because it's wrong, what Jesus is saying is false, but because it's true. And it's exposing and it's piercing your heart. And you don't like it. Consider Christ this morning. Consider the truths of the Word of God this morning. And ask what that piercing is there for. Extending his hand. Now, built off of those two truths that we saw there in these verses, we come to the middle point here. So, the two truths of He is the Christ, He is the Son of God. We come to the middle point here, which 
built off of everything that we have seen so far, makes this point all the more precious, the one I'm getting ready to tell you. So the next point here is simple, yet it is wonderful and glorious. And it's this, God keeps his sheep. God keeps his sheep. Verse 27 through 30. So throughout this chapter, Jesus, he has been making a distinction. In chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, we walked through that last week. We saw it there. Distinction between what? Well, those who don't believe and those who do, those who are his sheep and those who aren't. And so the ones God keeps then are his sheep. And so Jesus, he makes clear then that true sheep what do they do? They, they hear Christ, they're known by Christ, and they follow Christ. That's what true sheep do. Verse 27, we see it very explicitly there. And this really isn't a new point. We saw that with chapter 1, verses 21, didn't we? But it's, it's here again as another call for you sitting here this morning or uh, tuning in online to examine yourselves. Is this indicative of you? Sheep, hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't fall, right? But it means that even when you do fall, the, the trajectory of your fall is still towards Jesus. It's not it's not like entirely away from Jesus like you never ever knew him. It's always towards Christ and not away from Christ ultimately, even if it doesn't look like that at the moment. So the sheep, they hear and they follow. I wonder if Jesus came in the midst of our churches today, how many would recognize his voice. So some hear his words Sunday after Sunday, yet they don't hear his voice. They don't hear, they aren't known by him, and they don't follow him. And if you're wondering if that's you, this, this could be unto like salvation or sanctification, but to examine yourself and ask, you may not even be here right now, and the question is, not that if you can't attend you know, in person, but you may not be here virtually or in person, but the question is, is why not? Do not forsake the gathering of believers, we're told, a command. First John says they went out from us because they never were really us. So we need to ask ourselves these kind of questions, and certainly this is an exhortation for us to consider that question and to ask if we are truly part of the sheep. So are those things indicative of you? Sanctification looks like this. Becoming more like Christ looks like this. We're not talking about you know, we're talking about this. And that's what sheep look like though. And if it's like this, you said you came to Jesus and it still looks like this, big problem. That's not what Jesus does. He does this. So we need to ask these things of ourselves. And so for his true sheep, though, we see it plainly here. True sheep are snatchless. They are snatchless. Praise the Lord. Verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So that means... That true sheep, they might fall, but they never fall away. Finally and fully. 
the certainty of their salvation is as firm as those words that I just read. They will never perish. Do you believe that? God does not lie. When he promises it, he means it. When he said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, he means that. He means that. God does not lie, nor does he lie about you. And so to further show this, Jesus, he gives two reasons for this. And the first of these is true sheep are snatchless because... They're secured by Jesus. So verse 28. So that reason right there, I think for us would be like, wow, that's enough. <laughs> you know, praise the Lord. That's a reason. I'm confident. You know, I'm not going anywhere. He's going to keep me until the very end. Praise the Lord. He is fully God and fully man. If he can't do it, no one can. <laughs> you know, so we would believe that fully there. With that, with that being sufficient, but he, um, with him making here that he's not making any mere claims, but he is God himself. And so while he stands there in the cool of December talking with the Jews as the God-man, it is his word then that is upholding the universe, right? Hebrews 1.3, the Jews who spoke with him here and they're speaking with him here, they, who picked up the stones, who ate and drank and breathed, were using voices and hands and bodies that had been made by this Son. Colossians 1, 15-17 and then John 1, 3-4 All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made and him was life and life was the light of men. And so that reason right there, I think we would all just be like, yeah. Amen. Yet even so, Jesus, he gives a second reason. True sheep are snatchless because they're secured by the Father. Because they're secured by the Father. For, so verses 29 to 30 and verse 38. Now we, like I said, may have heard his first reason and said that was sufficient, but not so for the Jews. They would have thought to him saying that, who are you? Who are you to say that? I mean, who cares if you can hold the sheep? I mean, you're, you're just this guy, you know. And so they're coming at, looking at these things what Jesus is saying from that angle. I mean, who are you to keep anyone? And so they're thinking he's not enough. If God the Father doesn't have them, if God doesn't have them, then no one has them. And so Jesus gives them and gives us the second reason. And so Jesus tells them plainly, the Father holds fast Christ's sheep. All those who look to Christ are saved and they are unsnatchable the father he keeps them and this isn't implying like two hands here holding you jesus he makes this clear i and the father are one and that's why this amplifies you being held because you have this one sovereign god holding you and if he is holding you who in the world can take you from them. Nobody. And so we see this glorious picture here. Even as we may wonder at it, is this unity yet distinction, the Father and the Son, and later in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. We wonder at it, but it's true. And so... That question then is who can snatch even one sheep from those kept by the Son and by the Father? 
the sheep are secure because God is immovable, eternal, the rock that no one can move. And this is the point. Salvation is not God kind of playing with you like, oh yeah, I'll save you, but if you mess up, no. It's over for you. It's, that's not what salvation is. He's not like, kind of, you know, oh yeah, I know you came to faith in Christ and everything, but I'm dangling you over the fire, and if you fell even once, like small or big, I'm cutting that thing. You're going into the flames. I think that's sometimes how we feel, and sometimes how we think about salvation, but that's not the way Jesus is setting forth these things for us here. That's not what God is like. That is not the Bible. Christ, if you know him, he has you. The Father has you. God has you. If you are in Christ, his righteousness is yours, and it is yours forever. If you are his, you are his forever. And so we see the deity of the Son here, and the deity of the Son in reference to the one united hand that secures the sheep. And they are one that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And so it is, hearing all this and these glorious truths, that He keeps you, and it keeps you regardless of your feelings. He keeps you regardless of your feelings. How you feel does not determine your salvation. And as I said, I'm not saying, at the same time, I'm not saying your emotions, your desires, your heart, and those things don't matter. I mean, we could spend a many a sermon on those things by themselves, but I am saying you may feel undone this morning. You may feel overcome by your sin. And you may feel downcast about a good many things. Yet you are still in Christ. He has not stopped keeping you and holding you. Our feelings, they may go up and down. But if you know Christ, you are his forever. I know there have been times in my life where I've simply had to just fall on my knees, you know, and cry out to God, and maybe you have done that too. You know, how can it be that you would save me? I am such a sinner. I see that even week by week, how imperfect I am. And those feelings can be overwhelming. But again and again, even as I say that, again and again, there is Christ with me. There is the one who bore my sin and him who bears it still. There is him to whom I look and to whom I run and to whom I need. In the midst of that overwhelming feeling, I run to Christ. And he is my only hope. And he is your only hope as well. And so it is that he holds you as well. I think, I think of here, you know, the, the passage in Romans, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I think that's what God does. When we're overwhelmed, he shows us, see, my Christ, my son Jesus Christ has paid it all for you. So we don't let our feelings think, regard, disregard that truth. And so also, he keeps us regardless of opposition as well. And so the devil, he may bare his teeth. The world may rage against you, yet you are still safe. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all, th all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it is we come and see these truths this morning. Jesus is saying that to you if you know him. And so it is for you to respond this morning to this passage and to God's word first and foremost with what? With rejoicing. We are to rejoice at these things. We'll have a moment here to sing. We'll, let's praise the Lord and rejoice at what he has done and he is doing right now in your life if you know him. And so first and foremost, we respond with rejoicing. And we respond with rejoicing and respond by letting your faith be evermore buried in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. The world may be doing all this, but Christ is solid. So let's put our faith in him and surely, one and all, whether you know him or not, may we all respond by believing and trusting in him, even as they do here. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus Christ is sufficient, that he saves sinners, which I know I am a sinner, and that is only because of Christ that we are saved. We thank you, God, for this sure word this morning. We thank you that it is in him we hope. And I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know the Lord this morning, you may help them to believe. And we pray for those who are his sheep that may be stirred up in confidence in you, O Lord, in faith in the solid rock of Christ. So, Lord, we look to you and we pray. May you work in our hearts, and may we respond to your word this morning, and may we rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.